Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. I've been super excited about this episode for a long time. You know, when you think of whitetail deer hunting, you have these great big buck destinations across the country, you know, uh, Ohio, the upper Midwest, you have Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, Iowa, of course. Uh, but one area you may not hear a lot about, uh, but it's really uh, up and coming. I wouldn't even say it's up and coming. It's been around for a long time. Is Southern West Virginia as a trophy bow hunting destination, specifically uh, the four counties of McDowell, Mingo, Wyoming, and Logan. Uh, and I have some really special guests who have joined me today to talk about this. Uh, I'd like to call it a sleeper area. You guys live down there. You may not say it's a sleeper area anymore, but uh, we have Nick Hoffman, who's the uh, assistant district game biologist for the West Virginia Department of Natural Resources. Uh, we have David Miller, who is a biologist who works with uh, habitat management with local landowners down there, also an avid bow hunter, and Jamie Ferguson, who is an avid bow hunter who hunts down that area. And uh, Jamie took a, a monster whitetail uh, in Ohio this year, but we're going to ask him why he makes the trek down to Southern West Virginia when he has some great bow hunting much closer to home. But uh, thank you all for joining us on the program. Yeah. Good to Yeah. And I, I've known about this uh, part of the state for a long time, but uh, uh, it's not an area that you see covered in the media on podcasts and things like that that often. So hopefully I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, but uh, uh, Nick, you grew up in that area in Southern uh, West Virginia. Has it always been a great whitetail area or is it something where uh, the whitetail numbers were actually really low? I know that's old coal country down there. So yeah, I grew up in Wyoming County and um, you know, you go back into the seventies and our deer population throughout the southern coal fields was uh, significantly decimated. Um, you know, back in 72, that was when the first um, removal of a firearm season occurred, and that was in McDowell County. And then um, I think it was around 1979, um, the removal occurred for the other three counties, which made all four of those archery only uh, since 1980. Um, yeah, I grew up there in the 80s and the 90s, hunted there. And uh, it was it was uh, rare, um, based on my experience, to even see a deer. Um, most of the hunting I did um, during that time, which I was a young hunter, uh, started out like most of us probably have uh, squirrel hunting. Um, but um, yeah, squirrel hunt. But uh, it was it was funny, you know. You look back on it now. If uh, when I was a kid in school, if we seen a deer, it seemed like the kids talked about it for two weeks. Uh, just a detection of a deer. But, um, you know, and what's changed is when those, um, when that when that firearm season was removed, you basically um, allowed the population to rebound, even though it, it is slow, it has been slow, just because you have a lower carrying capacity in that type of habitat. Um, but what we have now is you have an older um, population of deer. You expect as a hunter, there's a greater chance you're going to see a true mature buck, a much greater chance there than in a county where you would have much more efficient uh, hunting methods such as firearms. Yeah, and when you mentioned the, the archery only, uh, I want to be clear with everybody who listens to the podcast, uh, a lot of times you think in, in today's world you can hunt with uh, either a compound or a crossbow. In that area, unless you have a special permit, it is compound only. There is no crossbow hunting in there. Is that correct? 
yes, it is compound or traditional. Uh, crossbows are only permitted for hunters that have a class Y permit, which is basically a permit um, that is issued to someone that has had a physician uh, sign off that they basically have very limited use in their upper extremities to pull back a compound or a recurve. Yeah, and, and you talked about the, the deer population growing, but it's not like there's a deer behind every tree. But on the, the flip side, some of those deer live to an older age class. Yes. Um, based on our surveys that we run, uh, you know, for our minimum sample size, when we want to survey a county, we still have trouble even meeting those minimum sample size requirements down there in those counties because it is a lower density, uh, and that, that just goes to habitat. You know, West Virginia is known as a mountain state, and uh, southern coal fields, uh, they, they uh, illustrate that very well. It's uh, steep terrain, uh, primarily contiguous um, forest with limited edge and uh, limited bottomland habitat. So it, it's, you know, when, when you talk about habitat quality, the habitat down there, would be considered really poor, uh, but there's there's some good deer hunting opportunities there because it is an archery only um, hunting opportunity in those four counties. Yeah, and I, I obviously that factors in into it, but uh, you know um, the deer have a chance to escape uh, some of the hunting pressure when you don't have gun pressure on them. And um, you know, is that something where you foresee that it's going to stay archery only for uh, the long haul? Has there ever been talk about changing it? Uh, you know, we have we have public meetings every year. So and we have uh, one of those meetings is down in Logan, and we'll have that here in a couple of weeks. And it always comes up. There'll be some hunters that want to know about possibly having a limited, maybe a three-day, some short season for like muzzleloader. Um, in my opinion, I don't think it's going to change. It's not going to change anytime soon. And even if it would, I think there would be a, a very negative, a quick negative impact on that population because the reason it was removed was because, um, you know, hunting with a firearm, you were 10 times more efficient than with uh, archery equipment. So I, I think we could uh, quickly uh, set ourselves back 50 years uh, into the past if we would ever open up a firearm season. And uh, so I don't, I don't foresee that anytime soon. Perfect. Great. Thank you for that. And uh, David, I know you, you live in that area. You mentioned you're a biologist. You do a lot of habitat work and land management work with the uh, landowners and, and leases down there and, and things like that. Um, when you look at uh, the, the deer hunting down there, how would you say the hunting pressure is as far as archers, bow hunters? You know, it's increasing uh, over the, like you said earlier, the cat is starting to get out of the bag. Uh, you know, it's uh, the pressure is increasing um, year to year, but I also believe that the uh, the sort of management minded culture is beginning to grow in our region. You know, the uh, you know, he had, uh, Nick had mentioned, you know, the, the age class of the deer being able to reach a, a greater and greater age. And uh, yeah, I've, and within the past four years, I've taken a, two bucks that one one has been nine years old, another been 10 based off of uh, trail camera watching trail cameras just cr crazy uh the ability for these deer to reach older age because of the terrain and because of the you know the archery only um it does create that uh e even like he was saying also that the habitat is uh, does limit these deer to a certain point um 
but also because of the some of the old uh, reclaimed surface mines. Uh, there is some good woody browse and early secessional growth. Um, so, the, but the hunting pressure, back to your uh, question, it, it is increasing um, the further along we go here and the more popular the archery-only counties become. Uh, and thank you for that. And, and you know, obviously, once word spreads, you have more and more people who will be interested. Now, bow hunting can be somewhat of yeah. a limiting factor there because you only um, pull from a certain percentage of the hunter pool overall. But uh, have you seen interest from landowners and people who lease land down there to maybe do some habitat enhancement work? Uh, if so, how have you been involved with that? And uh, what have you seen as far as growth and interest? Yeah, I, you know, I started a company this past year uh, called Mountain Whitetail Management. And it is all about that, you know, how we manage, have to manage our properties here in uh, the mountains is very vastly different from, you know, the central part of the United States or in the West because we have small little pockets like gas wells or little portions of old abandoned surface mines. We only have small areas that we have to work with. Uh, so we just, we kind of got to do the best with what we got. Uh, but people are starting to uh, wanting to, to work uh, their land more uh, to develop these, uh, their properties. And, and that's, that's a, that's a growing thing to, to help improve the nutrition for the wildlife. It's, it is growing, um, and I know the DNR. They do projects on on some of their uh, some of their land in some of the WMA areas, and uh, yeah, they plant plots and do do certain things. And that's it's a, it's a good system they have as well. And thank you for that. And now, have you done work with um, trying to uh, establish food plots and things like that? Maybe on where you're hunting or with some of the landowners. Uh, I'm guessing you had to look at some special blends or do some special work to get different mm -hmm. clover blends and alfalfa and stuff like that to grow or whatever you might put in. Very, very, very good points um, that people don't realize that, you know, certain species of, of even clover, some are more like shade tolerant than others. Some are more drought tolerant. So depending on where you're going to plant those species, you know, you want to select the right species for that environment. Uh, but yes, that uh, I've done done a lot of work uh, in regards to that. Yeah, that's that's and that's something that people are starting to pick up on as well. You know, the soil that we deal with is not um, is not you know the best. So so planting cover crops, you know, the the whole process of mining nutrients, pulling nutrients from the ground up into the stem of the plants, cover crops fall over, and that creates topsoil. So building that topsoil, mining those nutrients. People are starting to understand that concept, but but yeah, it, the education of that is 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 growing well in our area. Yeah, thank you for that. And and we talk about uh, uh, the deer population maybe not being prolific like it might be in southern areas of the country. But uh, can we put it in perspective? I mean, if, if if you're a good hunter and you know what you're doing, are you going to see a couple deer a day, or is it going to be like the Northwoods of Maine where you may only see one to two deer in a whole week? Uh, you know, I I think when when everybody has a different um, view when it comes to what a good number of deer are you know so uh, and also depends on the property you hunt the terrain and the availability of food and cover it does you know that that pressure um you know some people are have the mentality there there aren't there are not any deer in these drainage areas when in reality uh when you run trail cameras it sort of opens your eyes maybe because that area is pressured more, those deer may be nocturnal. And then you run a trail camera and you're like, oh my, I had no idea these deer were even in this, you know, in this. But but I'll say this from, there are pods uh, of areas within, pockets of areas within these regions where that do hold more deer than, than other parts. 
And a lot of that does have to do with nutrition and, and topography, you know, the way the land is laid out. Thank you for that. And Jamie, when we started the podcast, um, I mentioned that you took a really big buck in Southern Ohio. If I remember, it was over 220 inches, an absolute uh, a monster. You also have some really good uh, deer hunting right around your home, but yet you make time to come south. I think you told me it's like uh, over an hour to get to um, your lease in Southern West Virginia. What brings you down here year in, year out? Well, year in, year out, you see people like Dave shooting 180 inch deer every day or every year. And every day, the, come on, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the, the, I wish. All of the hunting is very good around my local county here in Cabell County. It's it's like we talked about earlier. I mean, you got the free buck living in the state of West Virginia, and you got access to rifles. And when you got every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there shooting every buck that walks, it gets frustrating. And growing up, that's the way I was taught to hunt as well. So I, I can't knock those guys too much, but. At the same time, I've adapted and enjoy the pursuit of, of larger animals. I'm not saying it's not. We over, often overlook the simple joy of just hunting instead of we get stuck up and focused on the rack size. But that's part of the game. All those are pieces of the puzzle to get you play. And for me, it was just it was this tired of seeing, seeing here opening day season and hear 20 to 30 shots within hearing distance. And, you know, and. Half of those are going to be spikes and four points that just taken out of the herd. And it's it's hard to manage any kind of property in, in those areas. And so that was the one thing that caught my eye the most. And then I got with some some buddies that had some property down there. I got to see what they were doing. Uh, the deer they were getting on trail camera. And it just, it just sparked from there. And, um, you know, David, when we were talking just a few minutes ago, I, I noticed, I guess, that your living room behind you. And you had a, a, a quite impressive array of deer. Um, are some of those from right around where you live or most of them from, or are they from all across the country? No, no, those are, those are all, all the deer that I have, uh, all of them, them except one uh, that I took in Ohio on a, on a, a hunt with a friend several years back. All, all of those are mountain deer from the mountains of West, Southern West Virginia. That's absolutely incredible. Um, you know, and you think about West Virginia, you don't, there's just, you don't think about the big bucks, but you're shooting some Boone and Crockett, a class bucks down there, not just Pope and Young, but you're, you're probably know some hunters that take what, 180 class bucks. Yeah. Yeah. E each year, man, there are, this year it was, it was sort of unnatural. There were, I was a part of two hunts, um, uh, that were, uh, of, of two fellas in Southern West Virginia that killed two gross 200 inch deer. So there are, yes, the, the, they are here. The, the terrain makes it challenging, but, uh, but the deer, they, they definitely are here. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I wanted to circle back to you, Nick. Uh, obviously, working with the DNR, you have a good handle on the public lands down there. Now, I, I know a few years ago, I want to say it's like 2016, 2017, you started to reintroduce elk into um, southern West Virginia. And with that came an expansion of public land so that you had land for the elk herd to grow and flourish. Um, so talk a little bit about the the public lands you have in those four counties. Um, the Tomlin Wildlife Management Area comes to mind for me because I think that's really grown um, in recent years. But, um, you know, when you think of archery only counties, I think across the country, you tend to think of areas where they're heavily populated, where you have a high human population 
access is almost always through private land or private land owners. It's a little different than that. You do have a lot of private land with your coal companies and your timber companies, but you also have a good amount of public land, don't you? Yes. Uh, throughout the four counties, we have approximately around 73,000 acres. And, uh, and you mentioned Tomlin. Uh, Tomlin WMA itself is going to be just over 25,000 acres. And, uh, and that was part in due to the, um, the elk restoration project. Um, but, you know, there's some other WMAs. Uh, the one I think of is R.D. Bailey Lake Wildlife Management Area, which is in southern Wyoming County. Uh, that's a 17,000 acre WMA. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of good properties. Um, and there is there is some effort that's ongoing right now to possibly acquire some more property in relation to the elk uh, restoration project. Um, so there's definitely a nice chunk of public land. And as far as that goes, you know, you know, like I said, I, I grew up there in Wyoming County and I hunted on private property every day and everybody else hunted that same property um, and it was land company property. So even though it was private, there really wasn't ever an issue for us to hunt on those properties unless there was an active mine site. Um, so definitely a lot of property to hunt. Uh, and it is it is a um, an area where the uh, human population density is very low and in some respects um, stable to decreasing. Um, so you have you have less people there, um, and um, the hunting is definitely um, something worth checking out. And thank you. And uh, when you talk about the the WMA specifically, maybe the ones where you um, have reintroduced the elk, do you do you do a lot of habitat work? Does the agency do a lot of habitat work? Because uh, obviously the elk are probably uh, feeding off those restored areas from the old uh, coal mine work and things like that. But uh, that's going to benefit whitetails and a variety of other uh, wildlife species, correct? So yes, uh, the district that I'm in, District Five, we would have uh, Logan County and Mingo County. So uh, that that would encompass uh, Tomlin WMA, Laurel Lake WMA, Big South WMA, and um, with the elk project. Uh, and all the surface mine reclamation there. Um, we're utilizing prescribed burns. Um, and then for the for the valley heads, areas that are relatively level, um, usually we'll go in, um, you gotta deal with invasive species. So we'll go in and try to remove like the autumn olive uh, with a dozer. And then we'll try to get something on the ground that'll come up relatively well. Usually we'll use like a, a mix of clover and wheat just to get something on the ground that first year. Um, clover seems to do really well. And then the other um, habitat um, activity that, that goes on, not just in our district, but over in uh, District 4, where you have um, Wyoming County and McDowell, would be timber harvest. Uh, so I know there's some, there's some harvest, timber harvesting going on, um, or has just uh, occurred, like at R.D. Bailey, and then on over in McDowell County in the southern part there, Panther State Forest. Um, so Cutting back the timber, that, that's definitely a habitat practice that will improve the habitat for deer. And that's something that, you know, you look at the history, you go back pre-1970, there was a lot of demand within this state to, uh, to uh, harvest timber. And, um, and then it, it kind of dropped off. So um, we're, we could definitely cut more timber uh, in this area. Definitely, definitely. 
And, you know, sticking with a little bit uh, on the, the public lands here, how's the access to the public lands? I've, I've hunted public land where the access points are far and few between, and I've hunted public lands that actually some areas have a really good infrastructure. Now, there's obviously pros and cons to that, for, especially for um, hunters who want to get away from the crowds and things like that. But how's your access on the public lands in that area? So on our public lands, um, there's there's decent access, but the one thing to remember, uh, if there's not a road that already exists that puts you up at a higher elevation, um, the difficulty is you're you're starting at the bottom and you're trying to go up steep terrain to hunt. Um, now there's there's some other issues for us uh, in particular, like a Tomlin Wildlife Management Area. Um, there's some opportunity uh, that I'll be working on in the future for uh, improving the access there with the road network uh, that's One. there. The issue is we still have a lot of roads that are, aren't released from the bond that the coal company has. So legally we can't open some of that access until the coal company gets uh, released with the bond. Um, but um, a, lot, a lot of areas, there'll be gas wells on the property. So you will have some road access, even though it's foot traffic only, at least it's a lot easier to walk on a road on the side of the mountain than uh, you know, walking straight up a 35 percent uh, uh, incline. Um, so, yeah, there's there's access there, but it's uh, for somebody that's not from the area, uh, it's not going to be like going out west in the Corn Belt somewhere where it's a lot more level. You're still going to grunt, sweat, probably have a little blood, uh, some tears <laughs> to, uh, to pursue these. Pursue these uh, any a lot of tears, a lot of tears, yeah, yeah, a lot of both, a lot of all those. And just something else, Mark, to add to that, uh, David touched on it. That's one of the things that changed, you know, when when we went to archery only uh, from 1980 up through uh, 2000, that 20 year period, the habitat there was an improvement uh, because you did have the surface mine reclamation, so. Uh, there was a lot of deep mining, but you started seeing a transition to more surface mining. And with them removing the tops and then reclaiming that, it does create some open, flat ground that us hillbillies down here in the southern southern West Virginia, you just you don't expect to see that. So that has definitely helped out because it's it's a created edge in that contiguous force and create some opportunities to uh, to maintain that as open land. And have that edge habitat, which deer, they're uh, edge adapted species, so they need that, that edge habitat for browsing. You know, it's, it's funny, you're all talking about how steep the majority, but not all of the terrain is. My first experience in hunting in that country, I hunted in uh, extreme Western Virginia when I was younger, and uh, it's pretty much the same thing, and they don't do a lot of forest cutting anymore. I don't think I'm a national forest down there, but the first couple of ridges I went up, and it was like I got up, and the ridge was several hundred feet deep, and the next ridge over was only 30 feet away. I'm joking, but you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> up and down and up and down and up and down, and I was like, really? Yeah. Am I getting anywhere here? But yeah. uh um, you know, that gives a, a, the deer a chance to escape and things like that. But, uh, you know, for all of you, what, what's your advice? If somebody was coming from out of the area and they wanted to have a realistic chance of success, what, what would you suggest they start with? I mean, obviously, they're not going to be as familiar and you can study things on Onyx and things like that. But sometimes it's hard to beat that on the ground scouting. What's your advice if somebody wants to be successful and they only have, let's just say, seven days to hunt? Lace them up. Lace them up. Be prepared. Um, I'd say those first seven days, the first two or three is going to be for scouting, unless they just 
get lucky because it's like everyone said, it's rough terrain. Access is limited, and you got to go deep to get away from people to find them. Yeah, I would, I would um, say the same. Um, you, the more days you have to put towards your hunt, the better. That way, you can do some scouting long before you ever start setting a stand or a blind or whatever. Um, a lot of property, a lot of terrain and uh, area to cover down here. Along those well, lines. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just going to say um, I would not set a boot on the ground until I had spent many, 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 many hours on Onyx. Yeah. I, I do tremendous amounts of scouting on Onyx, picking apart terrain features, like learning how how the terrain lays in comparison to like prevailing winds and then trying to situate that to so that when you do go into an area and set up, you've already kind of got that game planned in the back of your head. You know what I mean? But but using using those terrain features, like if you look at a uh, and I tell people this all the time before you start looking at details, look at a large area, look at the big picture first, pull up, pull up your onyx look at the big picture of the area then start looking at terrain features and how you think the buck will pattern then zoom in and start finding flats with the the topo layers yeah and, and i'm glad you brought that up because my next question was actually going to be you know obviously we all know that you want to pay attention to how you um enter leave your stand it's Access. not just when you're on the stand winds crucial but you want to make sure that you're not laying down sand or you're not pushing the deer out before you even get in i'm imagining that's especially important down there where you don't have a ton of deer and so my question is how do you access those areas without bumping those deer off the ridges and things like that knowing that you may not see another deer for two three days yeah picking those access routes picking those access routes are super important um you know, finding little ways you can use the terrain, like if uh, there's a ridge, like there's a ridge here, finding a way you can get in on this side of the ridge and just pop over and be where you're wanting to hunt. So you don't, if the deer are running this side of the ridge, you don't even have to, to go over across that trail. You can come from this side of the ridge over. So using terrain you know, to, to, to kind of block your presence from the area where you feel the deer is going to be. That's that's huge. Jamie, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Because uh, I know you spent. No, I was just trying to take the teach me how to read those maps because <laughs> find those spots and drop me pins. <laughs> but no, it's it, it, that's the joy of down there. Is everyone that spends any amount of time down there, they they earn their success in different ways. Uh, I've never been a big map guy. I've been trying to do a little bit more. It's always uh, been foot traffic for me. And, it's, and I'm sure it's cost me a lot of stuff that I've bumped out and never saw again. But that that's part of that area that's so good. However, what route you take to get there, that success makes it so much more rewarding just with all the obstacles you got to overcome. You know, Jamie, what you said was, you know, was very good. Um, about the, you know, you got to put the boots on the ground. I, you know, I do a, a tremendous amount of scouting on, on mapping programs, but once you, once you do that, there's nothing that can replace getting the boots on the ground. Uh, right. That just, that just helps eliminate some of those 
steps for the for the people that aren't used to the train. It just helps them, you know what I right. mean? Helps save some steps and helps them have you know, up their success rate. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the great access you have as far as public land. While access into the, every ridge and uh, every valley may not be super easy, you do have a good amount of public land. Um, and uh, are there certain times a year where you see a lot of uh, hunting pressure? Do you see, like, do you see a lot more hunting pressure down there during the rut, say early to mid November, uh, because uh, uh, guys are anticipating that bucks are going to be up and moving all day or most of the day? Do you get a lot of hunting pressure throughout the season? Um, can guys maybe work around that by coming down early in the year and having some good success when the season opens? Yeah, in our areas, I, I do see the uptick in the rut. People are just like everywhere else out of state. But in, for instance, the lease that, that I'm on, to me, it, it it actually helps me because I find the really upkick in the rut doesn't hit towards late November for the area that I'm in. And a lot of people have already been there and gone. And so then you start to see the uptick of the, the new bucks come in in late November for me. Now, I know it's it varies in every area, but it, it, it works wonders for me is the people that come there in November, they don't have as much success because they think they're going to hit it right in the middle of the rut. And that's not always the case down there for me personally. Now, do, does anybody here do any late season hunting down there or does it just get too hard? Oh, it's my favorite time. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, but most years, thankfully, that I've, 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 I usually have one. You know, I've already punched my tag by then. But in the years that it does extend out into December, it's my favorite time of year to be out. The, uh, the food sort, the deer coming to the food sources really strong, and you know that second rut or third rut by that time, depending on the year, um, those those ruts, the the bucks are a little more desperate. A lot of the does have already been bred, and uh, and man, it's to me it's a magical time. And a lot of people aren't out in the woods. You know, the cold is keeping them out. So usually you have the woods sorted to yourself. I love late season. Yeah, I do too. If you can get beyond the fact that it's going to be cold living in our area in the mid-Atlantic region. It's, it's a good time. Yeah. You may have less deer in the woods, but yeah. you can pattern them a little better. Um, and oh, so I've never had a problem with it. I like late archery hunting. And I was just wondering if yeah. you found the same thing down there. Yeah. Second week of December magic. It's good. Absolutely. Now, do you, yep. do you run a lot of trail cameras as well? I know obviously you do a lot of on X and on the ground scouting. You run a lot of trail cameras to try and pattern one or two bucks as, as much as you can pattern them in that area. I run you most years between uh, fifty to sixty-five trail cameras. Jamie, you do the same. I, I'm usually in that area ten to fifteen because we're all hunting around me in Ohio as well. I, I focus on that earlier, so I'll run the cameras there and leave them there, and then usually ten to fifteen in that area down there on the properties that I'm on. Awesome. Now, um, you know, Nick, being with the DNR, you have some. Uh, a great state park accommodations down there. You have some towns down there. Talk a little bit about like if somebody wants to come from out of the area and uh, maybe they don't have the ability to stay in a camp or whatever. Do you have great, you have great accommodations in the towns? Can you talk a little bit about that as far as food and lodging and things like that? Because you are talking about a more remote part of the state, but it's not totally devoid of accommodations. Yeah. Um, town of Logan, there's been a lot of development there. Um, so you're going to have some of the better amenities there with, um, with the lodging. And then you do have Chief Logan State Park, which has a, um, a full 
you know, a top-notch um, lodge, conference center. Uh, so those are good accommodations there. And um, as far as other private uh, hotel, motel, cabin-style lodging, anywhere from Logan up into Man over to Gilbert, uh, a lot of that, um, um, you'd have some opportunities for overnight um, lodging there. Um, and then even in Wyoming County, uh, you know, there's going to be some limit, it'd be limited lodging, but you would have some uh, some stuff available like between Osana and Pineville. And then when I think of um, over in McDowell County around the town of Welch, and then outside of that, I mean, that's right in the heart of the, the four counties, but, you know, uh, Beckley, you're an hour away, really, from getting down in uh, Wyoming County and then over around Cranston, Bluefield, Blue Well, uh, which is just uh, east on the, or southeast of uh, McDowell County. Um, yeah. So some of those little towns, you don't have the infrastructure that most uh, non-resident um, visitors would be used to. But, you know, there's there's been some developments and uh, yeah, even even down in Williamson next to the Kentucky state line, there's going to be some uh, some nice facilities. Thank you. And how how about like if somebody has uh, a conversion van, you know, a rut rig where they stay and they want to just stay overnight, do you do allow overnight parking in your lots? Can you bring a camper in some of the larger wildlife management areas or is that prohibited? So our our state, you know, there's. A couple of our wildlife management areas there, it's a cooperative uh, agreement. So for example, R.D. Bailey, uh, that's a Corps of Engineers property. So they they develop uh, campsites uh, there on that property. So you would have camping on that WMA, but it's because it's not a camping that we provide. Uh, as far as our state, uh, state-owned WMAs, uh, we don't have camping uh, other than, um, I think it's, uh, Let's see, Panther State Forest, because that's a cooperative um, agreement there where our state park section actually has camping facilities um, there on that property, even though it's a state forest slash WMA. Um, but for mm -hmm. typically just WMAs in West Virginia, um, we, we used to have camping back years ago, but that's something we've kind of um, went away from. It's just with the expenses and everything, it's something that you don't see us developing. So, um, so that's that's where we're at right now. Uh, but then you also have private campgrounds. I mean, uh, when I think of what the Hatfield McCoy Trail System has uh, has done in that part of the state, uh, Gilbert, for example. I mean, there's a lot that's developed there with camping um, due to the, the trail system. So, so there there's definitely some. Um, some fair accommodations um, throughout those four counties. Well, thank you for going over all of that because I know when you're exploring a new area, sometimes too, you're able to put all the pieces together and it can be a bit challenging, especially if you're looking for accommodations in a more rural area. Now, now we've talked for quite a while about whitetail hunting, but uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess you probably have some good bear hunting, uh, even if you're archery hunting opportunities in those counties. Tell, talk, somebody wanna talk a little bit about the bear population? Are there a lot of them or there a few of them? <laughs> Pardon me? I said, you want to call it good or you want to call it annoying? <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, there's some very good bear hunting in that area. There's, I mean, there's just a ton of them everywhere you look down there. It is um, a lot of trail cameras get ruined. A lot of a lot of stuff gets ruined down there. But it's it's also another rewarding hunt in that area. 
is because there's not a lot of places in, in West Virginia to offer that kind of bear population. So it is pretty a good bonus to be there instead of staying in hunting the whitetail and you have a big three or four hundred pound black bear swirl through on you. Probably the yeah, past or, six years, the past six years, I've seen a massive uptick. Uh, I mean, I remember eight, eight or so years ago, never, never eight to ten years ago, not very rarely seeing a bear. But then I remember starting to see them. I'm like, oh man, that's neat. I got a bear, and now I'm to the point where. Gosh, they drive me crazy yeah. <laughs> trying to pursue whitetails. Man, they they're just yeah, there's just a lot of them per square mile now in comparison to what there used to be. With with what he said there, I'll I'll jump back to what you talked about earlier about the people coming in early and hunting. That's that's another reason why I like the, the late season whitetail down there is because in the area I'm in up high, the bears stay up high earlier and they keep a lot of deer run out. Uh, you don't see near as much deer activity when the bear are in there. And then as it gets colder, they move low, and that's when you start to see a lot more of the uptick in the, in the deer hunting. Yeah, Mark, our bear population has definitely uh, experienced increases when you're talking about those four uh, southern counties. Uh, just looking at our harvest and our, um, our nuisance complaints and what we have to deal with, with nuisance bear, uh, that would all um, indicate that uh, we're experiencing a um, a stable to increasing population in uh, each of those four counties. Awesome. Thank you all very much for that. Now, um, David or Jamie, what's your uh, most unbelievable deer hunting moments that you've been hunting in the county? Now, David, I know you've been hunting down there a lot longer, but you must have one of those moments that immediately pops to mind. Like if you told the story, nobody would believe it. Jeez. Jamie, you go first. Let me be I got something that brings still brings tears to my eyes, but <laughs> I mean it's I, I guess the one sticks out the most for me. A lot of people wouldn't find it anything, but I hunted this particular deer for a week solid, had him all all year long in pictures, watching him grow, watching develop, and just could not find him, get on him. There was one day that I went and I think it was seven straight days that I hunted and the last day that I was there, I'd sit daylight to dark and he had come through just after shooting light. And to that day, and I never saw that deer again in the woods. I uh, don't know what happened. I don't know if someone else harvested him or what, but it was just like, it was so cool to know that I put so much effort into him, watched him, patterned him, got a chance to see him from the stand, but wasn't able to shoot him. So it was, it was awesome and heartbreaking at the same time. And that, that's something that I, I won't forget for as long as I hunt. And that that's a part of archery hunting. I mean, you, your, your chances, uh, you don't have a, uh, a million of them during the season for most guys. And sometimes you get the shot and sometimes you don't. So right. sorry about that. No, it, it is what it is. Like I said, it, I mean, it's, it was still rewarding looking back now for the first couple of days, it was a little rough to swallow, but <laughs> it, 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 it still has a reward to it to this day. I've, I, I know mine now. <laughs> Two, 2011 it was 2011 i was chasing this big deer i had it patterned it was coming in on like clockwork it was going to happen day opening day of season a week before season came in there was a, a drill rig from a core sampling uh gas well core sampling uh truck came in set up their well within sight of my my stand setup of this of this big buck um, and this this buck is still the, the number one ever taken in Mingo County, one of the southern Bow counties. So 
So I come in, I see this well set up. I go check my card. The buck that had been consistently coming in daylight all over it was gone. Uh, for the next uh, month, he's gone, totally gone. So I start setting up cameras and, and grid patterns around areas, trying to trying to pick this buck up. And finally, I pick him up uh, like a half a mile away. Then finally, you know, he was he was moving a lot then, really nocturnal. He finally came back into that area where I'd originally gotten him. And I was sitting on, I was sitting on the fringe of um, of this oak flat and this big thicket down in this hollow. And it was beautiful morning, and it was about nine o'clock. And I'd I'd gotten a couple pictures of him recently coming through, and I thought to myself, I thought, uh, man, it feels like a good morning. It was November the fourth. And I thought, man, it feels like a good morning pre-rut, you know, that he should, they should be moving. And um, I almost got down about 10 o'clock, a little early for me to go check some trail cameras, but got, had that had that gut feeling. Something tells me I need to stay in my stand. Well, about five minutes later, I hear across the bowl that I was hunting in across this hollow, I hear a pop. I thought someone had thrown a rock from the road above. And uh, I was like, what was that? Then I heard a pop pop and I was like, what is happening? There was an oak tree. I'm not joking. I, I couldn't have came close to reaching around. The, this oak tree, all of a sudden pop, 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 pop falls out of nowhere. Beautiful, pretty day, no wind. It falls. And when it falls, the top of this thing goes down into this big thicket. And I thought, hmm, wouldn't that be interesting? If that buck was bedded down there where I thought he was, and that tree was to, was to spook him, and I'm not kidding, within two minutes, I saw a deer slowly, he would take three or four steps and stop. Then I would, I, and I seen his feet at first, and then then I could tell he had some, some antlers. And then when he raised his head, I was like, oh my gosh, that's that buck. And he came literally right around the hill and right up the point. 22 yards and uh and I was able to get get a shot but that's it's one of those things where I had hunted hard all year for that for that deer and it's kind of kind of one of those moments where where God says uh, I'm gonna help you out a little here <laughs> I see the effort <laughs> that's an awesome story did, did you get the deer and, and you know what did it score oh my oh my <laughs> He scored. So, uh, for those who are listening four, to the podcast, uh, David went and brought months. the deer back. He almost didn't get it through the living room uh, doors well, there. But uh, show you, had to show you. So, you know, it was he? He was ended up. Uh, he was my first net booner. Uh, he was one seventy two and some change, and I think he grossed one seventy eight or so. Yeah. Well, congratulations! That's an incredible deer. Um, you know, and uh, you know, yeah. That, that tree, though, <laughs> of all things. I've never heard a story like that. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah, never heard yeah. a story like that where it works out like that. Yeah. Yeah. That The whole top of this giant tree falls down into the thicket. And two minutes later, I see him easing. It, take, it took him probably, gosh, 30 minutes to go 100 yards. Like he was just, he would just walk a little bit and then stop and he'd wind, he'd put his nose and went up and wind. He was so cautious. You could tell he didn't want to be, he did not want to be on his feet. Yeah. My question is, how far did you keep treetop land from him? How do you, how far oh, do you think it was? I, honestly, I think that when the tree fell, it was across a hollow. The tree was probably for me, 
it was probably 600 yards. I watched it. Boof. And it probably, from where he came, it was probably 150 yards, 200 yards from him. Yeah. That is an amazing yeah. story. Um, yeah. You know, the last thing I wanted to touch on um, as we're starting to wrap up is, uh, do you guys hunt out of climbing stains? Or uh, what I really wanted to ask is, do you hunt out of saddles? Have you seen a growth in saddle hunting in that area? And has that been a game changer for hunters down there? I'll let Dave start with that one. Oh, I love saddles. Yeah. I, 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 hunt, I hunt a little bit out of, I don't use climbers as much as I used to. I use more, I do more lock-ons. Um, but the good thing about a saddle is you can put a stick up or screw in pegs if you're not on public. Um, but you can, you can put that up and have, you know, 10 sticks up and not have to have stands for all of those and just, hunt, you know, use your, uh, use your saddle. And man, I, I love it. Especially if I'm hunting with someone, if I'm bringing someone in to hunt or hunting with my wife, I can put them in a stand and then I can go up higher than them in a, in a fork in a tree or something and, and just hook my saddle in. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And I'm assuming that you have to be pretty flexible and adaptable down there with the lower deer numbers and uh, uh, the different weather yeah. conditions mobile. and uh, stay mobile. Yes. Stay yeah, mobile. It's just, yes. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, I want to thank you all for taking time to talk about uh, the hunting down in southern West Virginia and the, the archery-only counties. Like I said, it's something that I've known about for a long time. You don't see a lot uh, as far as coverage in the media, um, but it is growing uh, a sleeper area. But you're starting to produce um, a number of good bucks out of there. Um, so thank you for joining the podcast. And for everybody who's listening, uh, you're looking for a really unique adventure. Uh, and you want to put in a lot of hard work, but the rewards might be great, check out the four archery-only counties in West Virginia. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand, or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com. <laughs>